being an adult means repeating to yourself for the rest of your life, things will get back to normal next week. Yeah. So go ahead. That, that should be in a corporate boardroom somewhere written on the wall. I got, I like that. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else, Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Yes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, where Jeff McClure may be heard to say... That's very interesting. Mm. This is Jake McClure. Jeff McClure is here with me, and we are back for a second hour today. So let's jump into it, shall we? Let's do it. I wanted to talk about um, the big picture. For those of you who is it like a Monet? Is it a, a Manet? Would, how big a picture are we talking about? How much paint really, was used? A really big picture, more like an Adam Smith. Whoa! He painted the invisible hand so well you can't even see it. Well, it's because it's so big. Yeah, that's probably it. There was a few months ago, back in the spring and going into early summer, a general consensus among corporations. That sometime around Labor Day, things would get back to normal. It's called RTO, return to office. They would basically say the supply chain was going to start cleaning itself up. People would be back in their offices. and We could go back to normal business affairs as it was. And they made a lot of plans for that and anticipated a lot of the problems going away that they're facing right now and that they face at the time. In case you didn't notice, on Labor Day, things did not get back to normal. Didn't even start to get back to normal. Matter of fact, they started getting more abnormal. Uh, well, I mean, this is a quote I'll, I'll give you every time this comes up. Being an adult means repeating to yourself for the rest of your life, things will get back to normal next week. Yeah. So go ahead. That, that should be in a corporate boardroom somewhere written on the wall. I, got, I like that. Now they're saying the general consensus seems to be that maybe by the end of the year, by the end of the year, maybe we'll get back to the office. Maybe supply chains will start to clean up by the end of the year, but they're not even certain of that at this point. So what we're seeing and, and what's driving this train is COVID-19, specifically the Delta variant. To give you some idea what's going on, I, I do a chart of the cases per week or the rise in cases in yeah. Bell County. Let me, let me just throw this in here because economically we get this a lot. Why do you guys cover the pandemic so much as economists? Because the pandemic like, is the elephant in the tiny house. <laughs> we can talk it. about taxes. We can talk about all the rest of it. And they are anywhere in size from cockroaches to mice. There's an elephant in the room. Okay, continue. Back, back at the end of May and beginning of June, we went three weeks in Bell County with no deaths from COVID. We had, uh, for instance, on June 18th, the end of the week that preceded, and these are according to the state, we had 54 new cases of COVID in Bell County and four deaths. So Bell County's in Texas. It's the county yeah. that the studio that we have done this operation out of for 20 plus years is. And in, on 625, the week that preceded, we had 65 new cases, but only one death. Well, we're up to 34 deaths a week now and 150 Again. new cases. Yeah. And 34 deaths per week in Bell County is the second highest we've ever had. And the hospitals are as full as they've ever been. And that tiny little picture tells you something. There's a restaurant that we were in the habit of eating at every week. Every Wednesday night, we went out with some friends to a restaurant near our house. We looked at the, the fact that 
it's been now eight months since we received our COVID vaccinations and we're, my wife and I are both elderly and we both have health issues. So we decided maybe we wouldn't go out to eat Wednesday night at that restaurant with our friends. And sure enough, we couldn't have gone out to eat anyway because the restaurant's closed. Why is the restaurant closed? Because they had a, several employees test positive or have both asymmetric, asymptomatic and symptomatic COVID. Uh, the church we go to is going to be not having a real service again on Sunday. Why? Because we have a confirmed COVID infection going on in the, in the, in the congregation. It's back. And it's having an effect on the economy. That's the big thing. It's having, and it's having as much as an effect it's having in the United States, and it is having an effect in the United States, it's having a bigger effect overseas. Whole ports have been shut down in China because of COVID infections. Malaysia, many of their factories got shut down because of COVID infections. Their hospitals are full like they are here. People who have, for instance, a heart attack in the United States right now, it's going to be very difficult for them, somebody to get into the hospital and perhaps impossible to get into ICU with a heart attack. That's the secondary effects of these COVID infections that are surging in the United States. In the rest of the world, it's having a similar or larger effect as, what does that mean to you economically? That means that prices, the producer price index went up almost, well, some aspects of it for goods went up 1% this last month, which is a lot. That's 12% a year. And by the way, it's up 12% from previous year. Why did it go up? Because there's things you want to buy in the United States, and they can't find a single, there's there's one part missing. I was talking to a manufacturer uh, representative this week, and I said, how is the the pandemic affecting your business? He said, well, we've got, and it was a manufacturer of motorhomes, and he said, we can build the motorhomes, but we got one part we can't get. One part, the awning. So we got a bunch of motorhomes, we're building motorhomes, we're putting them on the lot without the awning, and we're running further and further behind on the production of the motorhomes. Well, what does that do? Well, I could get a price? job. I can yawn. I can go out there and do yawning. Awning. Awning. Oh, I can't do awning. I can do yawning. You'd have to spread out really wide and keep the sun off. <laughs> and that's happening across the board. And what does that do? Well, we've talked about the fact that I think the, the price of used vehicles is up 25% of where it was last year. It was 45% a little earlier. Why? Because the shortage of new vehicles, and people want a new vehicle, they want a different vehicle. Their old one's worn out or whatever. They're buying used ones instead of new ones, and that's causing inflation. It's causing inflation across the board. You may have noticed, we noticed that the price of food is going up. The price of just lumber is up. The price of just about everything is up, and it's up for a very simple reason. There's a COVID pandemic going on. And until that COVID pandemic gets put to bed and goes away, until it stops filling up the hospitals and filling up the ICUs, we're going to continue to see prices rise. And this is important from our perspective. We're going to continue to see the economy stumble. Now, here's the, here's the bottom, one of the bottom lines to this that I think is important. Remember I said that the producer price index has risen a lot over the last year. Producer price index for goods has risen over 12%. There's something called the PCE, the, I always forget what this is, Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, which is the one that the Federal Reserve uses, and it's probably the most accurate measure of inflation. It's up 3.6% over the last year, which is not too bad. Wait a minute. Producer price index measures wholesale prices. How much does it cost for the retailer who's going to sell it to you? How much are they paying for the stuff they're selling? 
and it's up 12% in the last year. But the price they're charging to the public is only up 3.6%. What does that mean? That means that the company that's selling the stuff, which is an economic term. Is, is lowering their profit margin. It's squeezing the profit margin. And that is generating some concern out there among people who are watch this type of thing, including us. Per, per item profit margin, I should say. And if yeah. they're selling enough new things by eating that cost, they could be increasing their profit margin by lowering their per item profit margin. We're seeing a lot of raise. Earnings are going up. So it's not like we're seeing the profit margin being squeezed. They're selling enough new things to make up for not increasing their prices as fast as their costs are increasing. But there's, a, li- the there's a limit to that. There, here's the concern. Last time retail spending was reported, which was for August, it dropped 1.1%. Yeah. Which means people are buying less stuff. Why now, they're they still buying, buying more things than they were pre-pandemic. Yes. but the And it's dropping actually, down. That's why they're buying less stuff, because we're going back to, to more normal. But the point is, if they're buying a little less stuff, and the profit margin on the stuff they're buying is being Squeezed. restricted. Yeah. Then the concern is that third quarter earnings by corporations that are publicly traded will come in lower than expected. So, so what you're saying is that people are, if people buy fewer things and the profit on each thing is less, profits will go down. Corporate profits may. <coughs> no, no. Wow, it's true. I don't think they go down. They just grow at a slower rate. Yeah. I and agree right with now, that. the market is priced for a certain rate of growth in the economy, a certain rate of growth in corporations. And that prices the growth side of the market, the large cap growth, which drives the S&P 500. And the concern, and I think it's a legitimate concern and one that we need to be prepared for, is we may soon begin to see third quarter estimates come in at a lower rate of growth. It's not like we're sliding into recession. China is at a risk, is at risk of sliding into recession and it's generally it's being generated by the COVID-19 pandemic. India is in trouble. Vietnam's in trouble. They may be able to bail themselves out, they may not. They're on the edge. The United States is still growing, but I suspect the third quarter growth rate will be lower than was expected and the third quarter earnings growth rates maybe need, need to be adjusted down. Now this is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean we're going into recession, it doesn't mean that things are sliding backwards. But it's important to remember that the stock market is largely driven by earnings. And if earnings come in at a lower growth rate than was expected, some of the speculators might suddenly decide they need to go someplace else. And if that is if that happens at the same time that the Federal Reserve begins to pull back on their stimulus, interest rates could rise at the same time. So what you could get is bonds going up, stock market going down. In other words, we are seeing, and by the way, this is the ideal time of year for it. Yeah, it's, we're getting right into October. Happens. Yeah. <clears throat> so We're what, seeing a setup that could generate a correction. Now, and it's something that we need to be prepared for. And having said that, this is the piece of education that, when people hear us say something like that, they go, oh, I need to get out of the market. No. Absolutely not what we're saying. It is always a good idea to know why you're in a thing before you get out of the thing. It's probably, and I would say probably with like a hundred degree of certain, hundred percent degree of certainty, it's better to know why you're in the thing before you get into the thing. 
If you're uncomfortable being in the thing, it shouldn't have anything to do with what's going on in the market right now. It should be, hey, you're not comfortable with the concept of it going down, then don't be in it if it's something that looks really risky. So getting out of the market to prevent being in it during a correction is one of the worst mistakes smart market movers do. And it's repeated so often, I don't even know how to, uh, how to underline this more. When people hear, hey, we might have a correction, and then they jump out of the market, well, when do you get back in? What you do to prepare for a market correction is look at it and say, I can expect this thing to be, a correction's down 10%. I could expect this thing to be down 10% or more, and I just need to sit through that. So long as you're well-diversified, and you believe that the American economy is going to recover into the future, it's not going to fade slowly into some haunted memory of itself. We're not seeing signs of that. The, the innovation that we're seeing, the new product development, the technological advancements that are all central here say everything the opposite of that. So getting out of the market, to it's kind of like not, Deciding not to go on vacation because it might rain on the first Monday. You, you don't make decisions like that if you're talking about a three-week vacation. You say, oh, that first Monday, we'll figure something else out. You say, I'll be prepared for that. I'll bring an umbrella. That's what we talk about in the market, is that if you believe that the U.S. economy is doing well and the economy of the world is likely to grow, then being invested well-diversified even when we have the market go down, especially when we have the market go down, is the reason why you've gotten this great historical return. Because it's, it's like faith in our system, whoever is in charge of it. And I think there have been enough changes in who's in charge over the last 10 to 15 years to realize who's in charge has a lot less control than we thought they did or maybe more control than we thought they did. It's like the things we're afraid of them having control over, they don't have a lot of control over because we're afraid of it. But the things that we haven't considered yet, they have too much control over. It's just the way our system works. All, yeah. that, all that being said is, is we're not recommending diving out of the market here. It, we are always recommending that you look at why you are where you are and determine what you would do if that was in a much lower situation. Would it make you sell? Well, then you should probably be out of it now when it's not lower, when you could make a profit getting out of it. I know I don't, common sense it, is weird. It's very important to recognize that market timing, determine, determining that the market's going to go down, so bailing out and then getting back in when you think it's the bottom, historically has proven to be the worst form of investing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, during long periods of time, people who do market timing almost inevitably lose money. People who just hang in there and recognize that the, that a bump is coming and ride through the bump generally do quite well. And I think it's important, though, that we know it's coming. I say know it's coming. I say I can't tell you for certain anything about the future. What I can say is market corrections happen, and it's very rare for the stock market to double in value, and it has effectively doubled in value since the bottom in March of 2020. It's very rare for the stock market to double in value without a correction. And a correction is a drop of 10% in the stock market. And we so got we got to throw in a Yogi Berra quote here. It's really really that? difficult to forecast especially when it's about the future. Yeah. Ah, go right ahead now. And so what I'm saying is 
buckle your seatbelts. I would not be surprised to see a bump in the road. Now, let me talk a little bit about COVID again one more time. I track the annualized growth rate of COVID reported by Johns Hopkins every week and have been since this thing started. Back in July, the annualized growth rate of infections reported was 0.49%, which means we got this thing whipped. And we kind of felt like we did. The growth rate right now is 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 4.12% per year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. Is it per year or per week? The annualized, what I, we have is a 0.34% growth rate okay. in infections per week. I multiplied that times 12, 4.12%. Per week, yeah. So what we're getting is a four, we're getting a growth rate that is eight times as high as it was in July. We're getting a death rate that's up to 848. Last week, our average deaths per day in the United States was 848. It was down in the 200 range back in July. Now, this is the anniversary of 9-11. To say we had just over 3,000 people die on that day in, in three different places. And 848 people per day right now, last week, have died yeah. from COVID. So in the last week, COVID deaths amount to a lot more than died on 9-11. It's hard to put that in perspective because anytime you get numbers above five, people tend to lose the personal aspect and it just becomes a group. Uh, and as long as it's not a one-time event like 9-11, it's a different kind of trauma. 9-11 happened like we got punched, where this is like strangulation. It's harder to point out one specific moment that is a bad moment. They're all bad, and so we kind of get used to it. It's the frog in the water thing. That doesn't mean we shouldn't alter our behavior to try to stay healthy. We altered our behavior in extreme ways to avoid terrorism in aircrafts. You know, we've stopped have stopped seeing this in the newspapers and so on, but we're up to 655,000 deaths from COVID now yeah. in the United States. Yeah. Now, why is this important? Because it affects the economy. It's slowing things down. It's not slowing things down in the sense that we're going backwards, but slowing the growth rate down. And we're probably going to see that going forward. And it's one of those things to be prepared for. We got lots to talk about. One of the things that I wanted to bring up is, uh, I mentioned this last week and the week before, expect horror stories from Washington, D.C. about what's in the new bill, whatever, the, whatever it is. Just don't believe the horror stories until it's in writing. Whatever new bill. Oh, any uh, new bill. Any new bill. It's worse now right now because there's a really large new bill. And the, the fact that it's really large is one of the reasons why it's scary because we've got to figure out some way to pay for it. It is the new budget. $3.5 trillion dollars. Newt Gingrich doesn't have a whole lot that's still around that he put together. But one of the things that he did was the Balanced Budget Act. And that requires, if you're going to increase spending, to find some way to pay for it. What? Oh, I know, it's weird. How are you going to figure out how to pay for it? What do, you, what do you mean we have to figure out how to pay for it? Yeah. So... Uh, whether or not you like Newt Gingrich is irrelevant. I think this is a pretty good thing to have achieved. Now we look at today. $3.5 trillion is more money than we receive in taxes. Oh, yes, another shocker. This is why we borrow money every year. 
Our budget is growing faster than our tax revenue, especially during the pandemic. Next year's tax revenue might be great, but there's still a lot of handouts happening to keep us going through the pandemic. We'll see. Got good growth in the economy. We could see more revenue in the future. But for right now, we're trying to find ways in the governmental level of how do we pay for stuff? Well, you don't want to raise taxes. That's for some reason, people don't like to vote for people that raise their taxes. Even if you say, we got to pay for all these handouts, you'd rather have the handout than be the one doing the handout. That's human nature. Okay, so the Congressional Budget Office has been asked to give estimates on a whole series of different proposed concepts. This is why you should expect horror stories. Because they throw every question imaginable at the CB, imaginable at the CBO. They I say, like, "I like that word, imaginal." Imaginal. We'll yes. use that in the future. Um, if you can imagine it as a method of raising money for the government, they're going to say to the CBO, "What do you think this would cause in revenue?" If we cause everybody's left pinky fingers um, uh, tax rate to be fill in the blank. What, do you, what would this do to our revenue? So the other side of the aisle, no matter who they are, it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, as soon as that happens, that's something that they are aware of. The CBO has been asked by Congress for an estimate. And so they can start trumpeting about it. There is a piece of news that's come out from the CBO that's interesting, though. And that is a proposed increase in the IRS's budget. The Internal Revenue System. That's Jeff Clapping. Service. Uh, yes, that's Jeff Clapping. We have had a moratorium on hiring, a hiring freeze at the IRS for over a decade. Their budget has been lowered for two decades. I had some extremely conservative clients in the office the other day complaining about how they can never get anybody on, at the IRS on the phone how they hate the IRS, but they need to get their act together. Well, this, is a, this was a conservative movement to lower the power of the IRS. The IRS was slowing down the economy. It was overly funded. It was attacking companies and uh, individuals trying to get taxes that really weren't due. It was over the top. So we had the other end of the pendulum where we lowered the budget and lowered the budget and what we've found is that the economy is not being slowed by this. That's pretty cool. The IRS is not actively slowing the economy. Taxes are being paid, but we're missing taxes. So by raising the budget uh, of the IRS by $80 billion over a 10-year period, they expect to receive $200 billion returned and money that taxes aren't being paid isn't being paid on. So, and that's from the CBO. And they are a bunch of apoliticals. They are, some of them are political, but the vast majority of them are not. And those that are political, there's an even number on each side. So the Congressional Budget Office is really just putting the numbers together to say in their models, what kind of revenue can we expect here? It's all based on estimates. So they get a lot of flack for their predictions. But how about 
anybody out there listening right now, can you estimate how many how many numbers of dollars are not being paid in taxes this year? I bet not. Not accurately. The reality is that we have a pretty good idea on this number because audits still occur. And audits still bring in revenue to the government. A lot of revenue. Not as much as normal payments, but a very large amount of revenue comes in because an audit occurs, the IRS shows up and says, prove to us or or in some way show us evidence that you don't owe taxes on this thing right here that we found in your papers. And you say, well, I can't. Um, or the CPA says, well, we just thought we didn't really want to do that thing. And so the IRS says, okay, you owe us some money and some, some penalties for that. Go ahead. Nobody likes that, by the way. That's not something we advocate for. It's not something I would ever want to be in that position. But if we don't have good tax enforcement, we don't have good tax revenue. So it's one of those things. It's like having to pay for your water bill. At some point, you have to pay for the water bill or the water gets cut off. Taxes have to get paid or you don't need to be driving on the roads because those roads are paid for with taxes. So keeping that in mind, adding some budget to the IRS will add revenue to the government. And the CBO just came out and said that. It's more than a double on the dollar return over a 10-year period. And that's significant. That's a really big deal. I realize it's not a big enough deal to make major headlines in most places. But it means that the pendulum has fully swung the other direction from what it was 15 years ago when the, when the IRS showed up, you're going to write a check no matter if you owed them or not because you owed them. And now we're at the point where you're not going to write the IRS whether you owe them or not. So we need to see the pendulum. I would really love to see it just kind of rest in the middle, but that's not how pendulums usually work. Somebody keeps coming and moving them. Go ahead. i got several interesting points I wanted to make that are totally on another subject. Intel is investing $95 billion in European chip-making uh, factories. Awesome. Your chip-making factories are springing up across the United States. We have a shortage of computer chips because we have become a computer chip-intensive society. We used to be an oil-intensive society. We are gradually becoming less oil-intensive and far more silicon-dependent. Dependent. And, and they're Dependent. interrelated, just as a side note, because as we move away from oil, other technologies require computer chips. What's really strange is even technologies around oil require computer chips now. So we've got this shortage that's causing temporary inflation. It's causing a slowdown in the economy. And a lot of it has to do with computer chips and ceramics, which are different issues, by the way, even though computer chips are ceramics themselves. Plants are going in quickly. As the price goes up, it becomes far more profitable to make those computer chips and to make those factories and to staff those factories domestically. And so this is getting fixed. And I think that's an important thing to be aware of. I, and I would, and, I'm just going to put in a, a comparison, historical comparison, mark it in your calendars, put a little tack in there. If you ever go back to your calendars and look for tax, that's why I use tax. So you'll never look this up again, but mark it anyway. Um, China is. Saudi Arabia in 2008. I don't understand. Saudi Arabia went for in 2007 and 2008 with the Great Recession, went from being the powerhouse of the oil world to being an also ran. I mean, they still make a lot of oil. They still 
pull that stuff out of the ground. But fracking took off during the Great Recession. Computer chip manufacturing in the United States is about to take off in the pandemic in the same sense. And China's going to lose the monopoly. I, one of the th- other thing I want to point out, and we're about out of time here, is that there's a consensus of economists. Now, they're not always right on this, but I happen to agree with them in this case, that interest rates are going to rise in 2022, which means bond markets are going to fall. And I think that's going to happen. So another thing to be prepared for. And we're out of time. It's been wonderful having you listen to us, presuming anyone is listening out there. You are listening to The Personal Wealth Coach. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to. The you dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> It already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. The information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. If you'd like to contact us off the air, we have live staff during the week, voicemail during the weekend locally at 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you will find our scary faces and the beautiful staff that we work with. You will find newsletters going back lots of years. You will find recordings of our radio program. You can also go to your favorite podcast provider and look for TPWC. You'll find us. Uh, Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach, and thank you all very much for listening.